Section two of Other People's Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Other People's Lives by Rosa Nuchette Carey. Book two The Idols of a Vicarage. Chapter One The Vicar of Sandylands. When the Reverend Evelyn Wentworth first came to Sandylands, the new church was being built, and services were held in the little iron room behind the schools. The vicar took a great deal of interest in the work. Every morning he would leave his beloved books and stand for an hour at a time watching the bricklayers and the stone masons and later on the decorators with such a fixed and absorbed attention that job longman who was a bit of a wag suggested to silas stubbs that the parson must be thinking of changing his trade but after a time they got used to his silent presence among them and would go on chattering and whistling over their work as though he were not there the vicar of sandylands was a grand-looking man of about forty in his youth he must have been extremely handsome his features were finely cut and there was an aristocratic air about him and he carried his head nobly but it could not be denied that for the first year or two the younger and poorer members of his flock were greatly in awe of him how are folks to pass the time of day and grumble comfortably at the weather when the vicar is holding his head high and saying ah just so my good friend in that aggravating way of his and susan stuckley gave a vicious dab at her youngest boy's cap as she spoke where are your manners you good for naught don't you see the lady is sitting in father's chair but there dear heart we can't all be blessed with a taking manner and if the vicar is high miss patience has a deal of affability though to be sure poor soul she is as deaf as a post perhaps the vicar was a little too stately and silent to suit the tastes of the simple flock to whom he was called to minister but they grew to understand him better in time and though perhaps it might be true that he kept his eloquence for the pulpit and for those talks by the study fire when his friend cornish came down to the vicarage yet there never was a time when he refused to smile at a little child or that the various cure on the village green would not try to lick his hand and children and dogs know when a person is to be trusted people marveled at first that a man like mr wentworth should be content to bury himself in a quiet surrey village and there was a great deal of idle gossip and conjecture especially among the women-folk mr wentworth was such a striking-looking man 
they would say it was so strange that he had never married he had private means too for there was actually a man-servant at the vicarage a dark quiet man almost as reserved as his master who had been his scout at oxford and then miss patience always sat down to dinner every night in a silk or satin gown miss batesby who lived in a small house at the end of the valley and who knew everything about her neighbors had soon found out all there was to know about the new vicar and had retailed her choice modicums of knowledge in strict confidence to at least half a dozen intimate friends mr wentworth was a fellow of magdalen and still retained his rooms overlooking the deer park and addison's walk he was a great bookworm and was engaged in writing some ecclesiastical history that very odd-looking man who came down so often to the vicarage was a famous greek scholar and held some professorship he was a fellow of oriel they had been at eton together and had rowed in the same boat no one knew how miss batesby gleaned all her information but as her conversation consisted mainly of questions people who disliked a perpetual catechism would try to rid themselves of this form of torment by telling her all they knew and sometimes a little more now and then her facts were sometimes garbled and distorted but in the main she generally kept pretty closely to the truth as when she stated that miss patience was ten years older than her brother and had only kept his house since they came to sandylands it was true the vicar's celibacy baffled her but after a time she hinted darkly that though he had never married he had certainly been engaged and that the lady had jilted him and they do say continued miss batesby in that stagey whisper that she affected that it was the disappointment that drove him to his books at one time there was a talk of his going to a big liverpool parish oh you need not look surprised it was mr sanders who told me that the living was offered him and he had accepted it and then all at once he changed his mind and went abroad i think he was ill or out of health for miss patience spent one winter with him at cairo and then when they returned he settled to come to sandylands because it was quiet and retired and he could do his work and then miss patience gave up her house she had a pretty house in kensington and came here with him there could be no doubt that miss patience ruled well and wisely over her brother's household and that as far as creature comforts were concerned mr wentworth lacked nothing that womanly tenderness or thought could devise nothing was ever out of order at the vicarage the meals were always cooked to perfection barry the sedevant scout 
who acted as butler and valet and confidential servant was never remiss in his duties and not only the tennis lawn was rolled every day but even the shrubbery walks were kept free from dead leaves everything in house and garden bearing the same stamp of miss patient's exquisite sense of order even the victor's study that sanctum sectorium was not free from her supervision and delicate manipulation no other hand being permitted to dust and rearrange the piles of mess on the writing-table or to restore the books heaped in wild confusion round his chair to their rightful position on the shelves you are a very privileged person miss wentworth mr cornish would say as he saw her busy with her feather dusting brush wentworth must have developed uncommon amiableness of late years or you have learnt how to manage him now it is more than my scout's life is worth to touch a thing on my table but miss patience who had only heard half this sentence shook her head with her soft shy smile and went on with her labour of love there was no need for her to learn to manage him who had been his little mother since her own dying mother had confided him to her care she had only been thirteen then and evelyn a fine sturdy boy of three but never could patience wentworth forget that sudden rush of maternal tenderness that filled her girlish bosom as she received that sacred charge take care of dear little evelyn if you love me patience be a mother to him in my place how plainly she could hear the weak pleading tones and how she answered in a voice half choked with sobs don't be afraid mommy darling i will never leave him or father either and as long as they needed her patience kept her word if evelyn does not marry i shall take care of his house for him she would say after her father's death i am only waiting until he makes up his mind what to do and so when the living of sandylands came to him she quietly gave up her pretty house and went down with him to the vicarage it beats me how mr wentworth can put up with a companion like miss patience miss batesby would say sometimes a week of such evenings would drive me wild she was always a little deaf even when she was young they say it was the result of scarlet fever but now she hears hardly anything unless people scream at her the todd hunters were dining at the vicarage last evening she continued you know they are always asked when mr cornish is staying there and mr todd hunter was only saying how sad it was no one said half a dozen words to miss patience at dinner only the vicar and mr cornish gave her a nod now and then but she looked as contented and serene as possible and just talked herself in her quiet subdued voice saying pleasant little things to first one and then the other 
as though to assure them that she did not feel a bit left out in the cold and all the time mrs todd hunter said she was looking like a picture in her gray satin and little cap of old point lace perhaps it was owing to her increased deafness and her delicate state of health but certainly miss patience looked older than she really was and long before she was fifty she had grown into old-fashioned elderly ways though her hair was soft and abundant and only faintly streaked with gray nothing would induce miss patience to discard her caps her gowns too although they were always rich in materials were certainly not cut in the prevailing fashion there was an old-world touch about her something that reminded one of the rose pori in the big jars that stood on either side of the fireplace in her drawing-room a far-off fragrance of a girlhood that had grown old and that yet was eternally young of a life that had been lived for others and that had never known the ordinary vicissitudes of a woman's experience and which had left her at fifty-three a simple maidenly gentlewoman patience is the oldest and the youngest woman i know her brother once said in knowledge of the world she is a perfect infant i have heard her say the most outrageous things in perfectly good faith she has made my hair rise on more than one occasion and yet i have never known her to be fooled by the most wily of scamps it must be instinct what is it cornish for as far as knowledge of evil is concerned she is a divinely inspired idiot mr cornish only shrugged his shoulders he was filling his favorite old meerschaum with some choice tobacco which always was put ready for him in a special corner by miss patience's own hand it was a delicate and engrossing occupation and an assenting grunt was all he could vouchsafe in an answer to his friend's remark but mr wentworth seemed quite satisfied the study was certainly the best apartment in the vicarage it was a large well-proportioned room with a wide bay window and in winter or summer no shutters or blinds were ever allowed to shut out the night landscape to miss patience the outside darkness was a dreary and forlorn prospect they gave her an inward shudder every time she crossed the threshold in her opinion it would have been better to have drawn the warm-toned crimson curtains but mr wentworth insisted on having his own way you may coddle yourself as much as you like in the drawing-room he would say but i like the feeling that i have plenty of space and air and on moonlit nights he would pace the room now and then pausing to enjoy the wonderful contrast the silvery track that lay across the tennis lawn the weird blackness of the skeleton firs stretching their bare leafless branches 
each grim form standing out clear and distinct in the soft white light all the available wall space with the exception of the fireplace and window was filled from ceiling to floor with bookshelves many of the books were valuable rare old editions that he had collected from time to time and more than once mr cornish had been heard to say that he never felt more tempted to break the tenth commandment than when he entered wentworth's study a knee-hole writing-table and some remarkably comfortable easy-chairs comprised the rest of the furniture on the carved over-mantel stood an exquisite periton bust of clytai and some silver cups evidently relics of school days douglas cornish was a complete contrast to his friend he was two or three years older than the vicar but most people would have thought that there was a greater difference of age between them he was a tall man and years of study had given him a slight stoop but at times when he was animated and interested he would straighten himself and lift up his head and one would note with surprise that he was as well proportioned as the vicar his hair had grown thin about the temples and this gave the impression of baldness and he had a curious habit of partially closing his eyes as he talked and then opening them at unexpected moments mr wentworth used to call it springing the mine and sometimes it had a startling effect on people for the dark eyes were as keen and steady as a hawk's and yet with a benign gleam in them the friendship between the two men had dated from early boyhood they had lived with the same dame at eton and had fagged for the same red-haired heir to ducal honours at oxford the rooms had been on the same staircase and they had rode in the eights together and when one became fellow of magdalen the other fellow of oriel and a college tutor their sympathy and similarity of taste seemed to increase and though with the mauvais aunt of englishmen neither would have owned the fact each had grown indispensable to the other when the vicar had secured some fine old first edition that he had long coveted he always telegraphed his success to oriel and as often as not the return telegram would be delighted expect me by usual train to-morrow to dine and sleep i knew that would fetch him the vicar would say to himself rubbing his hands with glee now we shall have a glorious night of it and then barry would be summoned and told that the blue room was to be got ready for mr cornish and there would be a long and patient debate with his sister over the menu no one in sandylands would have recognized their silent and stately vicar if they could have listened to him as he and his friend talked on the subjects so dear to both now it was 
some difficulty that he had encountered in his work some conflicting statements that he needed to be sifted and verified and in which his friend could give him valuable help at other times it was he who listened with interest while cornish descanted on greek tragedies or on the success of some favorite pupil politics social economy greek hexameters ethics german philosophy and myths nothing came amiss to them at times they would have rare arguments in which they would grow hot and pugnacious and neither would yield by a hair's breadth at such moments the vicar seemed to grow taller as he paced to and fro on the study floor but douglas cornish never laid down his meerschaum and his eyes would be nearly closed as he uttered some brief trenchant sentence that seemed like the sword of hercules ready to cut the knot you are wrong wentworth you have forgotten we have the clear testimony of paulinus and then the blue gleam of his hawk's eyes would flash at his opponent and he would walk to the bookcase and take down the book and show him the passage he needed at such times the victory was generally with cornish but it was not always that they argued on deep and abstruse subjects sometimes barry polishing his silver and glass in the little pantry close by would hear a clear boyish laugh suddenly ring out across the passage they were in the playing fields again or in the procession of boats on the glorious fourth of june the eternal boyhood which lingers in every manly breast had waked to sudden life or they were indulging in reminiscences of their youth delightful immemorial events of their undergraduate days that never to be forgotten hour when oxford won the boat race that day of days when they had pulled together up the long course from putney bridge to mort lake while the frantic crowd cheered them from the towing path and the steamers in their wake churned the placid river into troubled waves and the gray towers of old fulham church stood out grandly in the march sunlight the days before the new stone bridge was built when the old toll-house was still in existence and the old-fashioned inn by the river was painted blue in honor of both universities sometimes miss patience passing down the passage carrying her silver candlestick would stop outside the study door as the sound would reach even her dim ears and a faint rose-leaf flush would come to her pale cheeks that was evelyn laughing she would say to herself but i am sure mr cornish was laughing too how happy they seem and then a wistful smile would come to her lips and there would be a look in the soft eyes that spoke of some secret sadness chief the vicar's handsome collie 
always lay stretched out upon the rug before the fire with his nose upon his paws and his bright eyes fixed on his master only if he laughed a little too hilariously to suit the dog's fastidious instinct chief would rise and stalk slowly to the window and stand on his hind legs looking out on the darkness chief is ashamed of his master look at his contemptuous attitude cornish is it not a perfect study of canine grace come back old fellow don't be sulky and i will promise not to do it any more and then the vicar would take the glossy head between his knees and look down into the loving deep eyes of his favorite chief you are right and we are old fools but it was something to have lived such days we drank a good draught of the pure elixir and we drank it deep though we little thought then it had to last us our life and then the vicar sighed and relapsed into silence perhaps it was transmission of thought or some sudden beat of the wave sympathy between him and his sister for miss patient's little velvet slippers had only just pattered along the passage when the vicar said a little abruptly cornish i saw you were observing my sister rather narrowly at dinner do you think that she is looking as well as usual mr wentworth spoke in a hesitating manner and there was a distinct note of anxiety in his voice what makes you ask me that returned his friend with equal abruptness and any one who knew the man would have seen that he was desirous to fence with the question well it was miss batesby who put it in my head replied the vicar slowly she stayed behind at the district meeting with her usual list of grievances and then she said that several people had remarked to her on my sister's fragile appearance and that she feared that she was losing strength perceptibly humph the aggregated parishioner miss batesley that is the plump little woman with prominent eyes who is generally loafing round the vestry door after weekday services and who has a finger in every pie in sandylands don't heed her wentworth when i want reliable information i should certainly not apply to miss batesby oh she is not a bad little person returned the vicar quickly she is good-natured and kind-hearted and patience is her prime favorite but cornish you have not answered my question miss wentworth is certainly a little thinner replied the other but i see no other difference i was marveling at her cheerfulness and placidity at dinner she could hear nothing of our conversation but there was no trace of irritation or impatience in her manner by the by wentworth i have been meaning to tell you something all the evening but i have found no opportunity i saw miss brett yesterday the vicar had been pacing the room after his usual fashion while he talked this evening prowls 
as he called them had already worn the carpet almost threadbare he had reached the window as his friend completed his sentence and for a few seconds his attitude was almost statuesque in its rigidity then he wheeled slowly round and came towards the fire all right go on old fellow i'm listening and he dropped into his easy chair as though he had grown suddenly weary there was a quick comprehensive flash and then mr cornish's half-closed eyes were directed to the blazing pine log i was at the metropolitan station at baker street early in the afternoon my word wentworth i think sharon's boat would be preferable to and decidedly more sanitary than those infernal tunnels pregnant with sulphurous odors but i will spare you a regular british tirade just before the train came in i saw a tall woman in a particular garb that i seemed to recognize come swiftly towards me you know her grand walk and the way she holds her head here there was a slight almost imperceptible contraction of the vicar's brow why in the name of all that is mysterious does she wear that ridiculous dress she is neither deaconess nor sister yet her long grey cloak and poke bonnet savour of both i suppose even a good high-minded woman like miss brett has her pet vanities there is no vanity about it returned the vicar a little impatiently she told me herself that a distinctive dress would be better for her work and that she could not well carry out her scheme without it all the other ladies wear it the poor people call them the good ladies though i believe she is sister marion among them well go on cornish i suppose she recognized you oh dear yes she had her hand stretched out before she reached me she wears well wentworth i think she is handsomer than ever in spite of the poke bonnet but she looked a little tired also no doubt she works hard enough for half a dozen women she asked after your sister at once and then she mentioned you is he well quite well and does he like sandylands but before i could half answer her the train came up i left her still standing on the platform some miserable-looking child who had lost her way or her ticket was crying and appealing to her and she had already forgotten my existence now my pipe and story are finished shall we shut up and go to bed and here douglas cornish straightened himself with a portentous yawn when the vicar had his study to himself he drew his chair closer to the fire as though he had grown suddenly cold is he quite well and does he like sandylands he muttered to himself and then again as though he were following out some line of thought the child would be all right if she appealed to her marion's heart is big enough to hold the whole world except one 
except the one who most needs her end of section two recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c